You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and The Globe and Mail's James Myrtle. All right, James, we are doing another podcast. We're trying to make this more regular, so let's get right into this. Um, lots of stuff, obviously, to talk about with the Leafs so far this year. I think one of the more interesting angles is what's going on at center ice, and, and we expected them to use Nazem Kadri against top lines with not very good offensive wingers. Uh, do you think it's... Now that we're into it and we saw it last year, do you think it's the right way to use Kadri, or do you think it, they would be better off putting him with, I don't know, let's say Van Riemsdyk and Marner and using Bozak in the role that they have Kadri in now? You're saying you expected them to use Kadri like that? No, I, I'm saying I expected them to use Kadri exactly as they're using him, where they're putting him with, at least so far, with, with Leo Komarov, with the now-departed Milan McCulloch. McCulloch? McCulloch? Mahalik. Um, so I expected that, but I'm just wondering if this is the right way to use him or whether they should be using him differently. And, and maybe they should be using him, you know, I don't know, uh, in, in more offensive situations with better offensive wingers. Yeah, it never really made any sense to me the way they're using Kadri because I think he's their best offensive center and he's a good two-way center. And I think what Babcock's thinking is that this gives their lines a lot of balance, but with Mahalik on waivers today and I'm assuming he's going to clear given he makes four million dollars Kadri's getting an upgrade I mean he's getting Connor Brown who's played really well and I think deserves that upgrade what I think Babcock maybe just needed to find that comfort level with one of the young guys that he can play against top lines and that maybe that's there with Brown I don't know I mean that fourth line is hard to get a read on because they have not had very good possession stats they have not been very good defensively but is that Martin and Holland or is has, has I mean to my eye Brown's been really good and I think he can play more they're in a bit of a tough spot in that it's it's like how would you even build a line that's going to match up well against other teams' top lines unless it's around Matthews taking those duties right away? I guess that's the question. Like, what do you do? What is the best composition of your lineup? Like, could Bozak? I don't know. Like, do you, you can't use Bozak, Komarov, and X. Let's say Brown. That's not going to work. That's not going to shut down other t- teams' top lines. So maybe they look at it like Kadri is our best chance of keeping the puck, staying out of our own end. I don't know. Maybe it does make sense. Maybe I'm just reading into it. I was just thinking about that this morning. I wanted to get your take as to whether this is the best possible use for Kadri. Because you look at last year, uh, he led the team in scoring. He played most with Komarov and Michael Grabner. He still had 17 goals. He still had 45 points. His luck was, as we both know, bad. So you just wonder what it would look like if they could use him... I don't know, maybe the future is that they have better players and eventually he's surrounded by better line mates. So maybe he can, you know, generate more offense. But I just wonder if this is the best use of Kadri or whether, I don't know, you're not going to use Matthews there at least right away. Well, they gave him that five-year deal. So I think that long-term, when theoretically the Leafs are a contending team, he's your second line setter. He's kind of like your Valtteri, Filippo in Tampa. Or like, you know, you know like he, he drops down the lineup a bit. And to my eye, I think Matthews is probably going to be ready to be the guy that takes on the who he's going to be like more like your Kopitar, where he can produce a lot of offense, probably more offense than Kopitar, and he can play against other teams' top top lines and and be kind of your workhorse. So this is kind of a transition year where they don't want to throw Matthews right into the fire. And but I mean, you look at 
you look at the possession and stuff, and it's those that young guy's line that's driving it. And I was looking at who Matthews has been playing against in terms of who he's getting the most minutes against. He's playing a lot of good players. Like he's, it's not like he there. To from what I've seen, I think that JVR, Bozak, and Marner are the sheltered line. Like they are the ones, and and the fourth line are the those are the sheltered lines that are getting relatively easy assignments. Kadri's getting the toughest, and then uh, Matthews, Nealander, Hyman are getting the second toughest. I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Yeah, and and I looked at from my eye, it looks like the Bozak Van Riemsdyk Marner line is drawing generally the top defensive pair of the other team, but I think that's probably like it's only a matter of time before that quickly changes and this kind of brings up what I wanted to get into into next with you is Matthews and Nylander and Hyman and especially Matthews and Nylander. That combination of skill I like in my time covering this team, I don't they haven't had that. The plays that they those two guys can make something else. And and it's interesting to watch two really skilled players kind of find each other because one thing that stuck out about Neilander so far this year, he's a and and I guess we knew this, but he's a terrific passer. Like he sees the ice, he sees things. And one of the things Zach Hyman told me about him that I thought was interesting is he said a lot of guys need to kind of be looking down and, and looking for the puck to make plays. He said he's always got his eyes up. He's always kind of scanning the ice. What have you made of that combination? Has anything about it surprised you as to how good it's been so far? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, that's the line that looks really good on Babcock and that I think he, you know, people were wondering about Neilander is he going to be a center, is he going to be a wing? And Babcock seemed to know that he wanted him to not only be a wing, but be a wing with Matthews. And I think it's... It, it looks brilliant right now. And I mean, that, that line, I think, can, I don't think this is just a five-game blip. I think that those guys can, can continue to carry the offense and carry the power play. And we saw some of this from Nylander last year. I mean, he had that three-point game against Calgary, to me, that really stood out. And he had a little bit of a slow start, and he seemed a little bit uncertain of playing in the NHL. And then that was like, was that his sixth or seventh game in the NHL or something like that? And then I remember watching the press box and going, here we go. Like, wow. Like, now I can he was able to bring some of what he was doing with the Marlies to the Leafs there. And you're right. I mean, his vision, the thing that I, I talked a little bit about last year and that some of the players in the team have talked about is that Nylander has an ability to use more of the ice than most players and that he can circle back up in the offensive zone. He can like go up where the defensemen are and like other players aren't expecting it. And then you create, you're creating open ice. You're creating some confusion among the other players. We saw Chicago do this a little bit against the Leafs in that game on Saturday. And so just like a very elusive player. And I think it ultimately, it makes sense for Nylander probably to stay on the wing because he's not ever going to be great defensively. I don't think he's ever going to be the smartest player in the world, but he's going to be a fantastic offensive player. Well, one of the things that he's not going to be, or he can change, maybe maybe I shouldn't say this, but he's not always going full bore. Does that, like, I don't know if that's unfair, but one of the things that came up last year not only like in the NHL with Mike Babcock, who brought this up, I think it was either after the first game or, I don't know, it was, it was early in his call-up. Sheldon Keefe brought it up during the AHL playoffs that he's got to be competitive all the time. And anytime that's coming up, like a coach is saying that publicly, you know that's something that, that's that's there and that's going to linger. And I wonder, that's the, the the most curious thing, and I think you and I have discussed this before, I think that's the most curious thing to watch about his career in Toronto because Babcock, 
ain't about that. You know what I mean? Like he loves, I'm sure he loves the skill. Why wouldn't he? But he's used to like his best players really giving it full bore all the time. And I wonder in terms of like playing wing and playing center, if that changed, I don't know. Does that change anything? Do you think for his long-term future as to what position he plays and maybe weigh in as to what I've just said? Epcot kind of said that, didn't he? That like something about he likes him better on the wing because he doesn't have to spend all the time watching the video and all that kind of, he has, he has less on his mind, less to worry about. He's handling less of the defensive responsibility. And I think that, I think that's bang on. And like, as good as Nylander has looked, I I still would put his long-term projection right now, based on what I've seen in the first five games and the preseason and training camp and, and whatever, I would put uh, Matthews and Marner ahead of him just because I think they're ahead of him in what you're talking about in terms of, like, they're going to put in the work, I think, to get better. They're going to have that competitive fire. Marner's all over the place. I mean, he's trying to get in every puck battle. He's blocking shots. He's doing all kinds of things that I really like like to see in a young guy. And, I mean, I, you know, maybe this sounds bad, but I think Nylander's kind of like his dad a little bit, and his dad was kind of like that like just amazing offensive player. Like he had some 70 point seasons and he could play with great players. He could pass the puck so well, very cerebral player, but defensively they had lapses. And that's why I, you know, I kind of rank the prospects right now is Matthews, Marner, uh, Nylander. And it's, it's not just about that, that flash. I think Nylander is going to be, he's going to make sure, ensure that the Leafs have a great power play for years and years and years. And you, you can't underrate that, but he doesn't have, I don't think he's going to have all the tools. Yeah, you raised three points. I want to ask you a few things. First, hopefully you can remember all these because I hate when reporters say, I've got two questions and then for, the person forgets about the second one. But do you see him as kind of long-term 70 to 80 points or 60 to 70 points? So remember that question. And then the second thing I was going to ask you, uh, now I'm trying to remember. Oh, I was watching the game the other night, and I don't know if this is a stupid comparison, but I was thinking like I was watching uh, Matthews and Nylander, and what kind of came to mind as far as like Toronto-centric combinations that they've had, because they haven't had many like this, do you think there's like some parallels between Sundin and McGillney? Or is, is McGillney, like I know McGillney and, and Nylander are a little bit different, but I see comparisons between Sundin and Matthews. Like, So answer those two questions. Hopefully you can remember them both. So we went from two down to three questions. I think Nylander can be like a, a really, really good offensive player in terms of point production because he's going to lead a good power play and he's able to just set players up. And, and if he rides with Matthews for a long time, he's going to have a lot of points. So I think, yeah, absolutely. I think he can be a 70-point guy for sure. And I do. I really like the the Matthews-Sundin comparison. I don't remember if we've talked about that on the podcast, but I've I've compared them on some of the, the TSN 1050 stuff that I've done. And I remember the first time I said it, and Hoagie was like, whoa, 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 whoa. It is like, but like same, similar size and stature. And Matthews has a little bit different, um, I want puck handling skills, I guess I would call it, or something like that. But there's there's certainly some similarities there. Like watching him in... in uh, training camp and I didn't get really get to see Sunday in, in, in a Leafs training camp, but watching Matthews in a Leafs training camp, that's that's what he looks like, just the way he carries himself and the way he's built and I think when he, he's gonna fill out even more and he's gonna get bigger, I think that's a good comparison. And yeah, and you were talking about you haven't seen that this kind of dynamic uh two dynamic players playing off of one another. That's what 
I remember is the best thing to watch about those teams when McGillney was there is just the, the creativity from McGillney and the, I don't know what you want to call it, the power or, or whatever that Sundin has. It was re- two really different styles that worked really well together. McGillney was such an amazing player to watch. I don't think, I don't know if Nylander's going to be that good. Like McGillney was like at his best was, but the same kind of thing. Like there's a little bit of that, uh, you know, and you don't want to get into, I guess, I guess we're not stereotyping European players because we're saying that Matt Sundin's not like that. Kopitar's not like that. It's just, it's just, I think that guys like Nylander and McGillney, there's a little bit of that, something that's not there at both ends of the rink. And hopefully Nylander figures it out and hopefully we're wrong and that we're just seeing that initially, but the HL playoffs was where it really stood out and that he was getting exposed uh, at that level for his inability to play center against really good players and, and perform those responsibilities. But maybe he can be a, a McGillney like winger. I just know when a coach goes to the step of talking about it publicly, you know it's gotten to a point where it's bothering them. You know what I mean? Like there are certain things, many things, that a coach would not say publicly just because there's no gain to saying everything you you think about a player. Do you know what I mean? Like there's no gain in criticizing every little thing about a player publicly. Okay, unless you're Ron Wilson. Uh, Anyway, that's... It's interesting to kind of compare the different eras and compare the different players. And I think Neilander's going to be fascinating to watch more so than Matthews and Marner just because there is a different dynamic like you mentioned with Marner he was on the ice you know in the final minutes of that game that they lost over the weekend in Chicago which was its own interesting thing actually since I'm writing a little thing about it today we're recording this on Monday what do you think about they've had the lead going into the third period of all five games Uh, they've lost four of them which is crazy I was I was driving to the rink this morning and, and wondering like is that random is like is there is there something happening here like this is not going to transpire throughout the year Toronto was the worst team in the NHL last year they went 17-1-4 last year when they led after two periods like it doesn't happen teams who generally lead after two end up winning what do you make of this weird dynamic that they keep blowing third period leads early in the season I don't expect it to continue do you that's kind of what I've been. Oh, I was watching the game in Chicago with my mom, who doesn't watch hardly any hockey or doesn't know anything about the Leafs. And they were up four two with what was it, five minutes left, six minutes left, or whatever. And I said, I don't. She's like, Oh, they're gonna win. They they beat Chicago. That's one of the best teams. It's like, I don't think so. And then she's like, You do. And it's like, it just there's just like this weird vibe around the team right now that this is kind of in their heads, or I don't know what it is. But I think I what you said about it just being a, this weird random thing in the first five games, I think is I think that's that's what we're looking at. And because it's not even like like with the Carlisle teams, they were coughing up lots of leads because they wouldn't play offensively. They wouldn't push the pace at all. They didn't have the puck. Their possession in third periods was like dropping down to like 30, 40% in games that they were ahead in. It was brutal, and you could see why every time. I don't get the sense that they're really backing off like that. And they've played some pretty good teams. I mean, I think Minnesota, uh, Winnipeg, Chicago, uh, not not uh boston's a decent team not not ottawa i didn't think looked very impressive at all but i mean like for the most part they've played pretty good teams they've been on the road a lot they've got this very young team with all these rookies seven rookies on the roster and the goaltending has been awful i mean i think that's been the big thing is that the goaltending has been bad because if you look at if you look at like the possession and that side of things it's not like they've been they've really super backed off when they've been ahead in games 
Well, and that gets into our next topic. Like I watching this team and watching obviously past leave teams, some of those coached by Carlisle, I don't think they're giving up a ton. Like they're not giving up we watched those games in the past and it was like every game they were giving up five, six really, really good chances. Not all of them would score, but they were giving up a lot of high quality chances. Anderson threw four starts and four starts is not a lot of starts, but you give up four goals or yeah, four goals or more in three of your four starts. Not good. And and Mike Babcock has really tried to deflect and continually praise Anderson and say, you know, we believe in this guy. At what point do you think Babcock and the management would start getting nervous? Like how long would this have to continue before they're like, ah, this, we got, we might have a problem here. They put themselves in a really tough spot and that they, they can't, not support this guy they can't i mean they have to and this is this was my concern with giving him a five-year deal and paying him a lot of money and giving up what they did to get him is that i'm not really quite sure what frederick anderson is and i don't know what he's going to do and in talking to some people in the goalie world matthew baron was was responding on twitter to some of the stuff i was saying it's they said that it's almost the the same thing kind of kind of happened with reimer and bernier and that babcock wants them to be aggressive and play out of their net and i wonder if I don't know if it's because Anderson missed a lot of camp in the World Cup because he was hurt. I don't know if it's because they're asking him to play a different style. I don't know what it is, but it's not just that he's allowed a lot of goals. It's that when he's not allowing goals, he looks really uncomfortable, and he looks like he's all over the place, and he looks he looks like Jonas Gustafsson or something. Like, he's just, he's leaving a lot of the net exposed, and he just doesn't look, like, I was expecting him to be, people said he's kind of like Enroth and that he's a very composed, quiet goalie, but he's a big guy, and that, but he doesn't look like that at all. He doesn't look, he looks like Sparks did or something, where you could just like, like, you and I are not goalie experts. I've never played the position, don't know a lot about it, but I've talked to a lot of goalies over the last week or two about what's going on, and they're, they're, they're saying what my eye is seeing is that he just doesn't look comfortable at all. Well... I think Babcock was right um, when he pointed out that the last couple goals against Chicago, there's not a ton he could do. I mean, Campbell throws one off his pads, doesn't really land in a great spot. Uh, then there's a point shot on the game tying goal, not a great rebound, but I don't know. Like he, his point was basically he, they're getting to shoot in empty nets, and that's not the goalie's fault. Okay, that's that's one thing. He also suggested earlier that maybe there's. Like, he's human. Like, there is something to coming to a new team. Five-year deal. A lot of pressure. Now you're the number one. There's no questions. There's no John Gibson around. The other thing I was wondering, and I wanted to get your take on, we saw this with Jonathan Bernier. When you go from a really, really, really good team and a really good defensive team to a less good team, and and I don't know what you think in terms of the chances they've given up. I can't see it as many as we saw in the Bernier-Reimer days but I wonder if there's something when you come from a good team and and suddenly you're not playing on as good a team like look at Brian Elliott's start in Calgary he goes from St. Louis awesome team to Calgary a less good team and suddenly I don't know like do do you think there's something to that when you go from a team that's really stingy to a less stingy team for a goaltender and suddenly I don't know you're facing different chances you're facing more shots he's not really facing more shots but I don't know 
I think the Leafs have been okay defensively, to be honest. I mean, I I thought they dominated Ottawa, and then I think all the rest of the games have been pretty close. I, they weren't good against Boston late in that game. I didn't like the way that they played, but, you know, Chicago, I thought they played really, really well, and they got let down by a couple really bad defensive... I mean, I don't know what Babcock was thinking with who he had on the ice at the end of that Chicago game. I don't... There haven't been a lot of things that Babcock's done where I just really... Well, maybe that's not the right way to put it. I mean usually with personnel decisions he's making the right choices at the right times in the game and that just wasn't one okay so just in case people didn't see it the five players on the ice at the end of the chicago game when chicago tied it it was polak and hunwick on defense not the duo you probably want out there and then it was hyman bozak and marner which is interesting because from i'd have to go back and watch it once more I wonder if he had Hyman out there intentionally in place of Bozak or in, ta- in place of Van Riemsdyk because he trusts him more in the defensive zone. Anyway, if you want to elaborate, that those were the players that were on the ice. Yeah, I just remember watching Hunwick and Polak. That must have been the only shift they played together in that game. Those were the guys out there. They played the they played it terribly. I mean, they didn't. Was it Hosa and Taves were both right on top of Anderson? I mean, you can't blame Anderson on that goal. That was, and the forwards misplayed the puck. There was another goal earlier in the game too, where I don't know where Hunwick had flown the zone, and then and Isimov was wide open, and then he got beat to that. But he was like way up at the other end of the ice for I'm not sure why, and then so I was blaming Hunwick for that goal, and then people on Twitter were saying it wasn't his fault, it was someone else's fault. It's like, well, where was he? He wasn't even in the zone. Anyway, the crazy thing about that is if, I don't know, I'm sure you've looked at the possession stats so far. Hunwick is like, he's on, we talked about Robidoux Island, he's on like Hunwick Island in terms of possession stats. He's at like 41%, and there's nobody else that's even close to him. Like, even his defense partner's way above him, and he's played with him most of the most of the year. So, I don't know if, I mean, Hunwick wasn't great last year, but I, I wonder if he, him banging his head or I don't know what, but like he is not, he has looked really out of place. I guess, I, I, I don't know. I don't know why they made those decisions against Chicago. They should have won that game, but I think we're off on a tangent here because we were talking about Anderson. But I mean, the thing with goaltending is that it's going to, it's going to vary over the year. He's going to have some good stretches and some bad stretches. The real telling thing you'd say, when do you worry? I think you worry in like, February if he still hasn't had a good stretch or January if he still hasn't had a good stretch and the Leafs are going to be in the bottom of the standings if he hasn't by then well and what's really interesting about that is we saw last year how quickly Mike Babcock lost faith in Jonathan Bernier it did not take long they demoted him to the like to the minors that is almost unprecedented like I don't know another time that we've seen something like that if this continues I'm going to be fascinated to see how Mike Babcock sticks to that and and sticks to you know we're confident in him if it keeps going but there's nothing they can do he's signed for four more years they have to make sure that he's good and like that's why you you wrote a really good story on Jonas Enroth and he's going to play but there's only so much he can play they like they like you said they've kind of boxed themselves in anyway I want to get into the defense a little bit you we touched on Hunwick and Polak the composition of the defense right now is weird. And it seems like Mike Babcock doesn't have anything that he's really comfortable with right now. He's kind of shuffled around the pairs. Uh, you look into the possession numbers. Zaitsev without Hunwick 
is good. Zaitsev with Hunwick, not good. So what do you do if you're Babcock if Hunwick doesn't fit? Like, how do you juggle things? And, and what would you do specifically with the top pair? Because they had Marincin there. Now he's not even playing, and he's healthy, apparently. They've got Corrado there, or not Corrado. They have Carrick there with Riley right now. What would you do with their top pair? Okay, so from what I've seen through five games and the World Cup, I think that Zaitsev is probably their best right side defenseman. That's, But, I mean, he's playing third pair minutes, so I don't know. But he's playing 22 minutes a game. I mean, he looks really comfortable, and I like he's got a fit. He's got, yeah, that's true with how many minutes that they've given Hunwick. Yeah, that probably is their second pair. So I would give Zaitsev a more prominent role. It's it's almost like they're doing the same thing they did with the forwards that they're doing with the D, where they're trying to balance it out so they don't have any weakness. I don't think that's the way that you do it in the NHL. I mean, don't you want to have stronger units playing more of the minutes as opposed to having really balanced units playing sharing all the minutes? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. So I wonder if you do it, I don't know, in, in your scenario, maybe you do Riley and Zaitsev, Gardner and Carrick, and then, because he's going to play Hunwick, Hunwick and Polak or Corrado or Marincin and Marincin. Yeah, but he's not going to do that. Why? I just can't see, I, I, I don't think that's the wrong move. Like, I, I, I can't see him. That's your third pair, you play them 14 minutes. Yeah, and that would be fine. Marincin and Corrado is today's NHL. But I think coaches like Babcock, he loves Matt Hunwick. I don't know. Like if if it gets to a point where twenty games in and it's this obvious, I think that was my cell phone. If it gets to a point, you know, twenty twenty five games in and, and Hunwick is still struggling like he is, it'll be interesting to see what Babcock does. But I just can't see him taking him out. Do you? It's so blatantly obvious right now, though. I mean, like that's like if it was less obvious, and and you could make arguments that it was at the very least they have to put Hunwick on the third pair. You're right. Like he's playing so many minutes that you can't that that is the second pair. But I don't know. I mean, I guess they have to hope for an injury to one of these guys. But it's it's just there's been some weird things happening where okay, so Mahalik's like, oh, he made he makes the team. Okay, you know that's fine. Not only does he make the team, he's basically on your first line that's playing against other teams' top lines. It's like, okay, that makes no sense. Like, he's obviously going to get filled in, so why'd they do that? And it's the same thing with Hunwick. It's like, oh, okay, he's on the team. Yeah, we expected that. But then why is he playing against better players than he should? Why is he playing more minutes than he should? Like, like I think if you had Mahalik and you're playing him 12 minutes a game on the fourth line, that he can do that and he would be fine. Like, he's he looks okay. Like, he's he's not that bad defensively and whatever that's that's what he is he's like a 12th or a 13th forward at this time in his career Hunwick is a 6 or a 7d if that so play him in that role and he'll be fine but they I don't know they they're overplaying some of these guys and it's burning them I wonder if before the year um Babcock was just like I'll take this guy but if if it doesn't work out he's gone you know what I mean like I'll give him a shot uh, and, and we heard him in training camp talk about, like, I wonder how much youth is too much youth. But they're going even younger now. And and I think we, I think you touched on it or we talked about it. Putting Brown higher in the lineup makes sense. He's looked good. He kills penalties. He's kind of plucky. I think he can contribute offensively a little bit too. So now you put Kadri with Brown 
and Komarov, suddenly that line's a little bit better. Um, but were you surprised by what they did with Mahalik? A little bit in that, like, they, they basically gave him a good spot in training camp and exhibition and then played him five games, like, 14, 15 minutes a game, and then all of a sudden it's like, yep, you're out of here. Like, in most cases, what you would do is you would lower him in the lineup or, you, you know what I mean? And then and then they want Ben Smith, and it's like, Mahalik's probably a better player than Ben Smith, but, you know, Babcock says they, they're bringing in Ben Smith because he's a right-hand shot that takes face-offs. Like, it's just like some weird micro role that, I don't know, it's... And then, like, I'd like to see Griffith play. I wonder if they should just work some of the kids in on the penalty kill. Like, you don't have to bring in a 28-year-old journeyman guy like Ben Smith. Like, they've got lots of kids. I mean, like, why not see um, see how Brown does on, on the penalty kill? Or, I don't know, someone like Holland could probably kill penalties. Or, yeah. So what they've been doing, and I think it's interesting, is they've been rotating a lot of different guys in. They've used Brown. They've used Holland a little bit. They've used Martin a ton, Komarov. Um, but but this Hyman too. But this is kind of gets back to what we've touched on before. When you sign Matt Martin for as long as they did, like you've boxed in a spot to a guy that maybe you you didn't really need. And anyway, you and I have discussed that before. We got to go. Um, I think in the future we're gonna try to take a Twitter question. I don't know. We, we got to come up with some like creative. Um, I don't know what you call them. Segments? Is that what they call them in podcasts? Creative segments that we can do. And the other thing that I need to start doing is thanking Andrew Nolan for producing these things because you and I don't know how. Uh, So we'll be back in two weeks. Send your questions on Twitter to James. Uh, He's good with Twitter. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel. J-O-N-A-S-S-I-E-G-E-L and at Myrtle M-I-R-T-L-E The way I used to love you all